under my skin. I've got you deep in the heart of me. So deep in my heart that you're nearly a part of me. I've got you under my skin. I've tried so not to give in. And I said to myself, this affair, it never will go so well. But why should I try to resist when, baby, I know so well that I've got you under my skin? I'd sacrifice anything, come what might, for the thrill of having you near in spite of a warning voice that comes in the night and repeats, it yells in my ear, say, you know, you fool, you never can win. Use your mentality, step up to reality. And each time I do, just the thought of you makes me stop before I begin. Because I've got you under my skin. It's probably the most dharmic Frank Sinatra tune ever. (laughs) Because it's really true. We've really got all of each other under our skin. If we didn't, the silly things that happen in the news or the tragic tragic things that happen in the news, it wouldn't affect us so much. I don't know Michael Brown or Eric Garner. I don't know the nine people who were shot and killed in South Carolina. But I weep for them. And I weep for their communities. And I've met the Dalai Lama uh, from afar. (laughs) But I weep for his story too. And we all know what it's like to see a cat playing the piano on Facebook and say, aww. If we weren't, <laughs> if we weren't naturally under each other's skin, you know, we wouldn't have such a profound effect on each other from afar. And music wouldn't matter and books wouldn't matter. So, when we try to, when our experiences callous us and put, put bunions on the soul, if we're not careful, we can allow ourselves to fall into the delusion that we are not connected in this very, very deep way. The continuous space uh, reflection that I did, it's, a, it's sort of an excerpt from a Tonglen 
practice um, that Tara Brock gave. And when I heard it, I was like, wow, you know, yeah, the space in my heart and in my lungs and between my ears is the same space that we're all occupying. There's this invisible link that is binding us. And, you know, I'm I'm doing my best not to get hokey, but it's the same space that's binding us to the birds and to the wasps and the mosquitoes and everything. And it's really remarkable. And we, and we really do a, we do, we do a really good job of trying to convince ourselves that it's not true. In spite of a warning voice that comes in the night and repeats and yells in my ear, you know you fool, you never can win. Use your mentality and step up to reality. You know, snap out of it, <laughs> moonstruck. You know, something just always wants to tell you, don't get too close. Even to our kids and even to our parents, because we know there's this perpetual pulling away. And so we try to guard ourselves from loving in a catastrophic way. Loving, knowing that, yeah, we do part from one another at some point in time, expectedly or unexpectedly. But the truth remains that we're all under each other's skin. And it reminds me of uh, a teaching by the Dalai Lama. He said that, you know, if you you want to... um, experience joy for yourself, then you really have to try to increase joy in the lives of others. And our little exercise with, the, with these things, with the little heart uh, um, tchotchkes or whatever, was so awesome. It reminded me, it went, when I was a little bit more of a hippie and less blinged out than I am now, Um, <laughs> my, our dog, gosh, I wouldn't do this now. It's so funny because our, because back then it was just reckless abandon. We took our, my daughter, Sandara, gosh, she was not anything more than like eight months old. And it was November in DC. And anyone who knows what November in DC is like, it is cold and in the city. So there's no nat- natural warmth happening. And me and my friends, we just, this was, yeah, this was right after 9-11 happened. And D.C. was a very charged place at that time. And we just organized, oh gosh, the silliest thing, but a love walk through the city. Just me and all my hippie friends. And my daughter and Sundara in a stroller in the cold. Oh, so stupid. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we had this ambition and this fire of wanting to just give love, you know, just for no reason. And so we typed up this love manifesto and it just said, you know, I just love you for no reason. And you are just fine however you are. And gosh, we must have looked like Hare Krishnas. We were on the, which is not a bad thing, no, no offense. I'm just saying, <laughs> we were just on the subway 
on all the lines, on the, on the yuppie line, on the political line, in the, on the hood line, just giving out these papers and just telling people that we love them. And then we went to DuPont Circle and um, we just stood on the benches. And, you know, then we got resistance. A good amount of people came and said, well, what about Al-Qaeda? I want Rumsfeld, and I quote, I want Rumsfeld out there protecting our asses. It's like, yeah, you know. I said, yeah, I know our situation right now is very tumultuous. But just consider, allow yourself to consider for just a second the amount of pain that somebody must be in to just drive a plane into a building. I know there's, it's really hard to feel compassion for, for an enemy or an imagined enemy, but imagine what the conditions must be like for anybody to have the feeling of desperation that they want to hurt someone else. We've done it ourselves. We do it all the time. We have our own 9-11 all the time. We do it to ourselves. We do it to our family members because we're all hurting in some kind of way. So just consider the hurt that we're all in and how would we alleviate that hurt <laughs> by hurting more? <laughs> it's so stupid. But it's, but it's our natural response because we're protecting this ephemeral thing. It's such a riddle, our time here. And sometimes it's really unfair. Sugar is so sweet, but you can't have too much of it. Damn it. Well, what is it there for then? <laughs> I can get from point A to point B in this beautiful vehicle, but it's just decimating everything. Well, what is all that oil in the ground for then? And that's why I think the Buddha is just really a really awesome guy. You know, he just had, you know, he was like, listen, it's here. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying don't get carried away because it'll turn on you. It just, it has another side. And we all have that other side. And so there's this, you know, prescription for life of just you know, to be like a bee, you know, to just come in and take what you need and just and keep it moving. And I am really not good at that. <laughs> I'm really bad at that. I don't want to, I want to keep eating and drinking and living and touching and smelling and, and fighting and proving my points and being right and feeling wrong and feeling woe is me and feeling sad and broken. I want all these experiences and I want them full volume all the time. I want it, I want it, I want it. I really do. I'm not cured of this at all. So my vantage point here is, is just a big joke to me. <laughs> I'm just a co-sufferer. I've just been looking at it a long time, so 
I guess I can talk about it. But it's just such a trip being alive and then forming these bonds and watching them change and slip away. But no matter what, we're still all under each other's skin, inextricably so. From an anthropological perspective, the reason why we human beings have this awesome advantage over everything is because we cooperate better than everything else. You go out and you kill an antelope and you're just about to chow down on it and you're like, you know, I think Mike would really enjoy this antelope leg. Hey, go get Mike. Tell Mike, come over here. What do you know? Sarah, you can make fire? All right. Come over here. Go get your kids. Get everybody. As a matter of fact, we are going to have a party. Let's all have a big antelope eating party right now. You get some, you get some, you get some, you get some. And now let's dance. And let's make love and let's make more babies and let's go get some more antelope and let's have more parties. And we'll just keep doing that. Upon the earth. <laughs> We cooperate really well, and it doesn't feel right when we don't. It feels, and when we're not included, there's this real palpable, ugh, fuck, I'm not a part of the thing. I'm not a part of the party. We are just hardwired to be together. That's how we've been winning for better or for worse is this just natural togetherness this big party that we're having as human beings and but the more antelopes we get the more we find individual ways to season them and prepare them and then we have our own family recipes and we have our own family way of doing it. And then you got your own family way of doing it. And now we've made farms. There's enough antelope to go around. I don't even need to come over. You got your own stove. I got my stove. I got my flat screen. I got my smartphone. I got my antelope. I can microwave my antelope. My antelope comes in the mail. <laughs> I don't even need to say hi to you. It's just this farce that we're sometimes under the spell of. But we are inextricably connected. And there was this, in this giving thing, in this thing that we did earlier, there was just this really palpable, like I could, you could just taste the goodness. And someone said, how nice it is to know that what's oncoming is good and that what you're giving is good. And yeah, I really felt it. I was like just full of just this palpable goodness. And if I can have that as an experience in this moment, yeah, just, you know, science would say that I should be able to recreate it somewhere else. And I, you know, that's what times like this are good for, is just really giving us some perspective on what we are actually capable of doing 
I am actually capable of hanging out with my kids without a phone in my face. Wow, I'm capable of that. I forgot that I was capable of that. All of us, the first five minutes of non-phone silence gets a little weird. It's like, okay, what the hell do we talk about? What do we do? You know, we don't have to talk about anything. Just, just be. I went for a hike with my daughter and I was like, okay, do we have the talk? Or do, we, do I ask her what, what religion is she? Do I ask, what's, do I, what do I do? I don't have to do a damn thing. We're just walking, and that's fine. We're in continuous space with each other. It's sacred just by default. Just, I don't have to make it more special. I don't need a big-ass bell. It's just me and my daughter in the woods, and that is just awesome. It's just fine. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. You know and, and me and my son, we went for a walk, and we did have a profound talk. It's like, Daddy, I'm becoming a better meditator. I was like, I just want you to be a better person. You don't have to... You don't have to prove anything to me. Just, just want you to be happy and, you know. It's all sacred all the time. And we're all connected all the time. But we injure ourselves. And we injure each other. And then, you know, I feel like whatever the concept of the devil is, it's that thing that makes you say that you're not worthy of having joy anymore or joy in this moment or you're not good enough to give goodness anymore. It's that lie. The devil is a lie. It's that lie that says that, oh man, I really messed up in this one way. And so I'm not invited to the party anymore. I've uninvited myself or or if they only knew how bad I really am, they wouldn't let me party with them. So I'm not included. Or we do that, or we pass that same judgment on to others. Like, cut me off in traffic, you ain't coming to my party. I remember what you said about my mama whenever you said it. You ain't coming to my party. Or that business deal that we were buddies and we went into this venture together and it was supposed to be amazing. We were going to change the world and it crashed and burned. Psh, I guess that's it. You know, I don't, I don't want to see you anymore or hang out with you anymore or whatever. But we just, we, you know, we tell ourselves, we, we uninvite ourselves and we uninvite other people for the biggest things and the smallest things. But we are still inextricably connected. We're still under each other's skin. So the practice really is in connecting with our own tenderness, with that place where we're not always feeling invited, where we're not always feeling great, where it sucks. Where, I mean, look, I mean, I curse, okay? So where it's shitty. You know, and to not pretend that that's not happening. The, 
dung is all around us. There's no shortage of opportunities for feeling crappy. TV makes us feel crappy. Radio makes us feel crappy. Age, just in general, makes us feel crappy. There's just, and our minds just start with these narratives. You wake up in the morning and you're just like, gosh, your breath really smells really bad to yourself. It's like, damn, can I live? <clears throat> and gradually, this tenderness becomes almost unbearable. And so we cover it with any number of things, with food, and with drink, or ideas, or habits, or just, um, just in a deluded way, just not paying attention to it, just ignoring it. And then that, that tenderness, uh, it turns into something else if we don't pay attention to it. And it expresses itself in really unpleasant ways. Because it's the unpleasantness that we've left unattended. And it has a voice, and it has a life, and it has a and energy. And that fear of being, of not being accepted will come out when I tell my son, dude, you can't eat a sandwich without getting shit on your shirt? <laughs> this is the first time all these people are going to see us. We're walking up the hill. <laughs> this is unacceptable. <laughs> and sure enough, What's for dinner? Tomato soup. <laughs> and what am I wearing? My nice white shirt from H&M. And what do I hear? Daddy. <laughs> then the absurdity of my request for him not to get stuff on him just pop, comes up in my face and I'm like totally embarrassed for my own self. Like, what do I even say now? Uh, happens to the best of us. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, just this unreasonable expectation that you won't spill food on yourself when you eat sometimes. It is really just, really just about not wanting to be uninvited to this party that I'm coming into. You know, put your best face on. Put, make sure that everything is okay. Don't let them see that you're a human being with a mouth and hands. <laughs> Where is your magic carpet? You left it at home? What is wrong with you? We just make up all this stuff to uninvite ourselves constantly. And it's just bullshit. And, you know, we make up stuff about other people. And we take, yeah, we take Polaroids and snapshots. Everyone's guilty of it, you know, of who someone is to us in a moment. And we don't allow them to grow from that. That's what trauma really is. Trauma is a snapshot of a moment that we can't grow past from. And there's so many of us that are there that in some little corner of us are still 12 and 10 and 15 and 16, just whatever impacted us that we couldn't really reconcile. We just kind of stay stuck there. We grow around it. But that that little four-year-old is going to have a temper tantrum at some point, and that 16-year-old is going to rebel again at some point, unless, if they're left unattended. So it, the brave thing to do, the, the spiritual warriorship, is in coming in and touching base 
with the monsters and the boogeymen and and the popular ki- and the popular kids and the whatever that nestles in us in unpleasant ways, and we just grow around them. And we try to just ignore them, and they're still there. To just make it a practice to come in and to notice and to touch those soft spaces and to tell ourselves. And and those soft spaces are usually young. They're usually the young parts of us, the stuff that happened that we couldn't really wrap our heads around. Or or maybe maybe it's in our adulthood, we feel vulnerable like a child. And to be able to just come in and touch and say, it's okay, baby. It's all right. I hear you. I hear you crying. I hear that it's unpleasant. I hear that that sucks. I hear you. It's okay. And to just let it speak, to let it out from within. Because it will show itself no matter what. And it'll show itself in, if, if unattended to, our soreness, our tenderness will just, you know, at any given time. And that just creates more suffering. So if we can turn to ourselves with metta and specifically find the places that, that ache for us and to shine the light of metta on those open sores and let those sores dry up in the light of our own self-regard. That's step one. And then to really turn our attention then to the people next to us and just know that we are all full of these sores, these tender places, and that we're all doing our best to either cover them up or to heal them, and to, give, to, give, to give ourselves room to heal, and to offer that sort of kind attention, that immediate affection that we give to our kids when they're crying out. You know, to just, that's, that's how the Buddha described karuna, and to an extended uh, sense, metta, is to regard one another as, as a mother or as a parent regards their child, especially when their child is in pain. You know, it just, it does sound hokey and it sounds silly and it sounds really, you know, yogurt and granola-y. But it's really, it's really the way, it's really the only way that really makes sense because we are all inextricably under each other's skin. And caring for one another in a deep way is the way that we stop Ferguson's from happening is the way that we stop Baltimore's from happening and and all these things that are so so sad and despicable and they're only sad and despicable because we know that that's not how it really is supposed to be it's only alarming to us because we really are connected we're all Gosh, this really just sounds so hippie-ish, but we're all brothers and sisters. We really, really are, though. It's like not like no bullshit. We really, really are. We're really a big, big family, like for real. And and so when there's family drama, it bothers us. It really, it, it, you know, it makes us cry. 
And, and, and those tears come from the fact that we are connected. And we're meant to be together. We're not meant to not have conflict. Conflict is what, you know, keeps the engines going. That's cool. Well, Plato spoke a lot about the dialectic and, you know, you can have some beautiful ideas from conflict. But to act in a way that ruptures the fabric of what we are is, is, is an expression of ignorance. It's the delusion that causes our suffering. It's the part of us that says, you know, you fool, you never can win. Use your mentality, step up to reality. You know, you're your own self and you have to protect this bubble at all costs. This bubble is going to pop one day. And the energy that it holds will be back in the fabric and something else will hold it. And we'll just keep doing this dance and we're just all connected in this really inextricable way. The astronauts who have been at the International Space Station, all of them have come back. I watched this little documentary. I don't know if you guys have seen it. There's like a little clip circulating on social media. But many of the astronauts of the, at the International Space Station, if not all of them, have come back. And they've come back with these remarkable stories saying, you know, you watch a storm happening on the Earth you really see that the earth is just alive and it's just this organism. And you watch the lights cascade from one continent to another. And you're just watching your home from this extraordinary vantage point. And then you realize that we're just, you know, all a part of this massive organism. And it's really, really sweet. And it's just turning and it's you know, in this big cosmic thing and it's moving at like 8,000 kilometers an hour and it's just, wow! And then you get down here and people are mad at each other because we're not the same color. It's just the stupidest shit ever. It's just so stupid. Or we don't have the same amount of money or we don't have the, what are you talking about? What are we talking about? You sound real dumb right now. <laughs> they all came back. Oh, so many of the astronauts, if not all of them, have come back. And when you see them, you listen to them talk, they've got this, this enlightened thing about them. Just like, yeah, you know, I was just up there and I was looking and just like, what? What is the point of being pissed off at each other? I was like, sure, okay, traffic, you know, my stomach hurts, your stomach hurts. Okay. But really deeply angry at each other for what? We're having this remarkable experience for a short amount of time. So, we're all like little dandelion seedlings. You know, when the dandelion gets into that cottony space. And we're together for a moment in this beautiful way. And then the wind of change you know, scatters us. And then we sprout up again into something else. But while we are dandelioning, chill out. (laughs) Just 
Every one of those little dandelion seeds feels its precarious position. It can be blown away at any moment, and it quivers in the wind, holding on as much as it can, but inevitably failing and being scattered. And we're all quivering in that way. So, you know, just be just like, you know, just take it easy with each other. Take it easy with yourself. We fuck up. That's what we do. We are professionals at it. We do it. I'm sorry, excuse my language, but yeah, we do. A lot. All the time. <laughs> We're not alone. It's a big party of screwing up, of stumbling. It's an unenlightened existence we're living. We haven't made it to that oh, space yet. We're just tripping along and stubbing our toe constantly. All of us. All of us. All the time. So, take, so don't beat yourself up so badly about it. And if you've messed up big time, every moment is grace. That's what I really love about the, the Christian concept of grace, is that you're just constantly able to just hit reset. You know, and, 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 you know, maybe Buddhists, you know, we might scoff at it, like, oh, yeah, you know, he's got your back, like, constantly just reset. But pfft, whatever your sin or mess up was an hour ago, you're breathing in this moment. It's not happening now. Right now is an opportunity to make amends, to learn, to tell someone else, hey, back there, there's a little stumbling block, and I fell down and I broke my face on it. So walk around that. Don't do that. We have an opportunity to make goodness out of the badness <laughs> all the time, as long as we're breathing. Nothing is fixed. Everything is fixable. And all of us are. So my, the hardest thing for me to do is to be kind to myself and to forgive myself. So I've made some major blunders in my life. And probably, I'm guaranteed to continue to make them. Hopefully this process, this togetherness slows it a little bit. But it's always important to reach in and to touch the tenderness that exists and to tell yourself that it's okay. Yep, you made a mistake, it's fine. Maybe it's not fine, but it'll be okay. Everything, nothing is fixed. Everything is fixable in one way or another. And then to turn to the people around you and to know that they are also in a, in a state of perpetual toe-stubbing and to offer your kindness, offer your metta, offer that parental love to one another. And that is how we will stem the tide of sadness and despair that seems to want to take our world over all the time. But this is the revolution. Me sitting here talking to y'all about this stuff. Can't get more revolutionary than that. So... 
thank you for your ears and your time. And I'd like to bookend this moment with a song from our dear one, Betsy Rose. First of all, thank you for that extraordinary talk. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm really moved. <laughs> so, of course, um, I, I th and thank you for this opportunity. I, it's a tradition for me to sing to the parents at some point in a retreat, and I find I really missed it. I was really missing it, so I just got real bold and asked Ophel so oh, if I could absolutely. just barge in on his talk. <laughs> to do one song. <laughs> yeah, look at the Kleenex going. Um. And I had no idea what you were going to talk about and what your reference points were going to be, and it's, uh, the per it's perfect. Oh, awesome. This is a song about my mother, and who is so under my skin. And even perhaps ever more so now that she's gone. She died last fall, so since I've seen you last, I've lost my second parent. Thank you. And um, so I just wanted to share the only first and only song I've written since her death about her, um, which I think is a, um, just a gift to, to you to remind you of the legacy that you're providing for your children right now and have provided from their birth and will keep on, and you won't even know how much you live in them until you're gone. And then I hope when we're gone, we get to look down and see that. But um, my son is 23 now, and I, I have to say already, I'm just so blown away by the seeds that are, that are blooming from, from me, but from my parents. I see my parents in my son, and there's just nothing more beautiful than that generational feeling of transmission. And, um, so all this little dandelion fluffs are both completely ephemeral and lasting, yes, eternal. Absolutely. So. I can tie my shoe, I can brush my teeth without my mother. Walk to the corner of 2nd Street without my mother. I can write my name Brush my hair, set the table with the silverware. A little bit crooked, but she don't care. She's my mother. I can sleep overnight at my best friend's house without my mother. Get up on stage and take a bow without my mother. I stole money for candy from her purse, but the taste of the guilt just got worse and worse. That kind of love is a gift and a curse. I love my mother. What would I do? Without my mother, 
Who would I be? How would I feel? Am I still a daughter without my mother? It doesn't feel me, doesn't feel real without my mother. Well, I went off to boarding school. I left my mother. I got a little wild. I broke some rules. I'll show my mother. But when it all came crashing down and they sent me off to the lost and found, all I really needed was solid ground. I needed my mother. What would I do without my mother? Where would I turn? Where would I go? Can I find my way without my mother? Can I be real? Can I be me without my mother? someday I would have to live without my mother. Thought the sky would fall and the earth would shift without my mother. But she taught me to sing, his eye is on the sparrow, even when the path is dark and narrow. She's in my bones, down to the marrow. I can say my prayers because of my mother. I've got eyes that see and a heart that dares because of my mother. And the grown-up son of her little girl wants to be a dad, wants to change the world. That kind of love is a precious Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.